This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Dominic Fracasa, staff writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. BART, in short, is running out of money. Despite deep service cuts and some federal bailout funds, the transit service is still hemorrhaging millions of dollars a month. Ridership levels are in free fall due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and fares, which make up a huge portion of BART's operating costs, have dried up along with it. Rachel Swan, the Chronicle's transportation reporter, joins me now to help us make sense of BART's financial future. Uh, Rachel, things seem pretty grim right now for our friendly uh, uh, neighborhood transit agency. Um, Can you help us unpack a little bit of, uh, uh, give us the highlights, if you would, of what is in this uh, proposed budget that the BART Board of Directors are supposed to vote on in June? So BART came out with a $915 million budget this week. Um, It's a balanced budget. It includes um, cuts here and there. So, for instance, BART is doing a hiring freeze. It's eliminating vacant positions. It has cut all unnecessary travel like we've seen most cities do. Um, it is um, not giving its executive staff wa- uh, wage increases. It's cut service about in half, but since it's not – its board directors don't want to lay off or furlough any workers. That isn't saving a ton of money, but it is saving some money. Um, so yeah, Bart's made cuts here and there, but the budget it's released relies largely on one-time funds. A full third of it comes from, uh, government stimulus money that Bart has either already collected or, um, believes it will collect. Um, a deferred payment for new rail cars that it's going to have to, you know, pay down the road and um, money that it expects or hopes to receive from FEMA for costs incurred during the pandemic, such as like extra cleanings and such. Um, so, yes, that um, that is BART. That is the that is the uh, that is the budget. I mean, so, so does that mean that, you know, if, if everything goes as planned and the BART Board of Directors votes next month to approve this thing, that next year we'd be looking at a 50% reduction in, in BART service? I mean, that, to me, that seems like the top line item. Well, yeah. I mean, we are like what BART service right now is about it's reduced actually by more than 50%. I mean, trains are running every 30 minutes and it's closing off at nine instead of midnight. Um, basically they're planning to, um, have that skeletal schedule in through September. Um, but they're hoping, they're really hoping that, right, that riders will start coming back. I mean, some think this is a really, really optimistic projection. Um, but I mean, they, um, they're hoping to maybe look at ridership increasing by up to 50% of normal. 
um, by the end of next year. But, you know, some people think that's just magical thinking, you know, that Bart's riders are just going to be really reluctant, you know, to come back. And, and yeah, it seems like there are so many question marks. And that's that's really the case of, you know, public agencies really across the board. You and I have done uh, reporting around, you know, how cities are faring through this and the choices that they're going to make. And, the, and, and at least thematically, they, it seems like folks are really in the same boat. It's how much of this really is is due to just the fog that Bart is trying to peer through here. I mean, they they have to make projections. It would seem based on something that nobody really knows right now, which is how any kind of recovery in the Bay Area is going to look like, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's really hard, you know. I mean, they have this one scenario right where they regain enough riders to get to like 15% of their normal 400,000 commuter a day haul by the end of next year. And then they have another scenario where they get all the way up to 50%. So those are vastly different, you know? Um, I mean, also like BART traditionally, really since its inception has had this model of like, a lot of its operating budget comes from these standing room only crowds, you know, that like crowd together during that, you know, they, they drive from the suburbs to BART, they pay to park there. Um, they pay to get on the train. They pay, um, more money if they're traveling a longer distance, say from like the suburbs of Antioch or Walnut Creek to a job in San Francisco. Um, you know, and that's like really been BART's bread and butter. But now, you know, those jobs are going to evaporate. They might go remote. I mean, and people are going to be really reluctant to get on public transit. You know, I hate to say it, but that's just the truth, right? You know, the what did, what did they say in the New York Times the other day? The car is the ultimate form of PPE. Um, so, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. so, I mean, it's just like BART may have to completely, completely reimagine itself, you know? Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's like some people are calling it an existential crisis for BART, you know? It's like no one really knows what's going to happen with the economy, you know? So there's the whole thing about, like, no one really knows if we're going to have when we're going to have sales tax revenue or whatnot. But, you know, with, with transit, there's this other unknown of like, you don't really know how people are going to behave or where people are going to live or if people are going to be able to decide where they live anymore. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are existential questions that, you know, it's kind of like existential questions on top of existential questions. I mean, so, so many of these, you know, public agencies are reliant upon each other and reliant upon, you know, a normal economy. And I think a lot of this is going to have to be reimagined. You, you mentioned that there are uh, some directors who have made assurances that, that they're going to do what they can, at least, to, you know, prevent layoffs of workers. People are saying, you know, directors are saying, I'm going to stand behind our workforce and ensure that there aren't layoffs. How realistic is that, you know, that aspiration or that expectation? I mean, personnel costs account for a lot of any municipal agency's budget uh, anywhere in the country. So I just wonder how how realistic of that uh, of a of a of a proposal that's going to be as, you know, especially as we get farther down the line. A lot of a lot of things are uncertain, but that uh, that seems like quite a promise to make. Yeah, I mean, and that is actually a sort of a, a, a um, source of great tumult within BART, you know, because you have a, 
you have a majority of board directors. Well, first of all, you have Bart's unions are very powerful. Um, it even says in their budget transportation, they like, they like have this like color coding system for, Oh, these are the costs that we have a lot of, we can exert control over. And, um, these are the costs that we only have like a moderate amount of control over. And interestingly enough, labor is in the moderate <laughs> or limited category, um, which just kind of goes to show how um, beholden BART is to its labor contracts. Um, and then you have a lot of a majority of directors who have vowed repeatedly to um, protect the labor force in BART, have said that they're not going to make any staff cuts or any... Um, any layoffs um but i don't know i mean it's like if you know other directors are saying like hey this is something we that we might want to at least like be open to because you know i mean if like ridership for the past few months has hovered at you know six or seven percent and um you know there's no telling really when Bart's going to get back up to normal or if it's going to get back up to normal or if we're going to have to wait till, you know, there's a vaccine. So, I mean, you know, some directors are saying, hey, we shouldn't foreclose on the possibility that we might have to cut down our staff. Another existential debate. <laughs> there you go. One more for the sandwich. <laughs> um, I wonder, I, I, I think like a lot of people were somewhat surprised recently to see Bart, you know, go out and, you know, unveil a, uh, you know, a long awaited, uh, plan to extend Bart service to San Jose. I mean, that is an expensive proposition in the best of times. And it's somewhat perplexing to me that that would go on ahead as scheduled in the middle of a pandemic that's shattered our, you know, regional and national economy. So what, what, what was the rationale behind moving ahead with that proposal to San Jose? And, and what do you think the future is for that plan? Yeah. I mean, that was like an, yet another curveball, right? I mean, so I guess I should start by saying as a caveat, the, um, that extension is, it, 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 like nominally it's six months late really it's like years late you know so it is late um the stations were built they were doing the testing so it's not like it's not as if they went out in the middle of a pandemic and decided to build an extension to san jose um but it, it was it did kind of like scratch stretch uh it did kind of um strike a lot of people as kind of a head scratcher you know like Really? You guys are doing this now? Um, so, I mean, it's kind of weird the way BART's set up um, because it's in Santa Clara County and Santa Clara County um, at BART's inception decided not to be part of the BART district. And that's a whole other like ancient history that nobody really cares about. But because of like this weird set of circumstances, um, Santa Clara actually built the extension, paid to build the extension and, ex and design the extension and is paying BART to operating it, operate it. But what's it using to pay BART sales taxes and rider fares, which we know are both like down in the toilet. Right. So, um, you know, Bart said in its budget presentation, one of our extra expenses may be, you know, paying for more, you know, something like it was weird the way they worded it. It was something about like, we're going to have to bear more of the burden of this extension, but it's totally unclear what's going to happen with that, you know? So, and it's also, I mean, 
San Jose, like, has always been, like, the Pacific Ocean to BART, you know? I mean, like, you've been hearing that your whole life, right? Like, BART is trying to get to San Jose, you know? Or, you know? Like, it's been years, right? Well, that's always the dream. That's always, you know, the kind of, like, that's always kind of been the fevered dream, yeah. <laughs> right? To have it actually extend yeah, down to like the south Bart, of the It's BART's south manifest yeah. destiny, right? It's like, if only yeah, we could exactly. get to San Jose, you know? Um, but it's also kind of part of that whole, like... I don't know, that whole, like, Bart mindset that might not work anymore of, like, Bart is, Bart was built around this mindset of, like, the accumulation of wealth and people can live where they want in the suburbs and will build more transportation extensions out to serve them, you know? And that's, like, that's a whole, um, that's a whole, like, way of thinking that just might have to change altogether as the region changes with the pandemic. We're talking with Chronicle staff writer Rachel Swan about the future of BART's finances. We'll talk more right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So, Rachel, before the break, we were, you know, talking about all of these sort of uncertainties that are hanging over Bart's future as it, you know, tries just to get through the next year financially. Um, I wonder if you could sort of pare down what uh, Bart has relayed recently about how the most immediate changes are going to affect riders over the next six months to a year. What should people who take BART regularly, if they're going to take BART regularly again after the, you know, the region starts to open up a little bit, what's some of the most important information that they need to be aware of? Well, BART is going to be very different. Um, BART is going to continue requiring, I mean, just like normal normal life on BART, you know, I mean, first of all, BART's like new base service level is going to be every 30 minutes. Um, so it's going to be much harder, you know, like you're really going to have to like know which train you want to take. And you know how like we used to like, I don't know, like I, I always took BART to work in the morning and it didn't, because I was a rush hour commuter, it didn't always matter what time I got there because trains were coming every seven minutes. Now, you know, hopefully BART will ramp up to every 15 minutes, but we don't really know. That kind of depends on how people use it in the coming months. So if it's every 30 minutes, I mean, that's one thing to know, right, is that there's just going to be this really stringent schedule. Um, also, BART's going to continue requiring masks for everyone age 13 and older. I mean, that's a that's pretty much a Bay Area-wide rule right now, but BART has said that it will keep that rule in place even if the counties loosen their rules. Um, so everyone's going to have to wear a mask on BART. Uh, BART's going to try to enforce social distancing. It's going to, or encourage social distancing rather. It's going to run longer trains with the expectation that people are always six feet apart. So, I mean, BART's going to seem a lot more sparse. Um, one good thing, BART is going to clean often um, with heavy hospital grade disinfectant. It's going to use uh, foggers to spray disinfectant into all the surfaces of cars. Um, you know, so it's going to do a lot of extra cleaning. So um, 
all those customer surveys that they've put out for years where people complain about how dirty BART is, like they're hoping they won't see that anymore. Um, and, um, you know, police are going to be standing at the fair gates enforcing the mask rules. And um, it's just going to be like, it's just going to be a completely dramatically different scene on BART if you're used to, you know, if, if you um, expected that, you know, the economy reopens and you're going to get right back on your crowded BART train with body heat fogging the windows, think again. Think again. Well, thanks for that fond memory, <laughs> Rachel, of the body heat fogging the windows. So, Rachel, we've been talking this whole time about BART. I wonder if we could turn our attention for a moment to uh, Muni in San Francisco. Um, How... There are obviously two different systems and there are different dynamics in play. But I wonder, you know, how the steps uh, that, that BART are taking, how they compare to how Muni is handling, uh, you know, the how Muni is handling the kind of thinking about its budget and, and the post-COVID world. Yeah, I mean, so Muni is um, a very different system in the sense that, you know, Muni does have the Muni Metro uh, subway, which it has shut down and which it is probably going to keep closed, you know, so that it can do some long deferred maintenance um, for kind of a while. Um, but Muni, in comparison to BART, Muni is a lot more flexible, you know. Um, I mean, remember when like Muni kind of like over the course of a weekend said, okay, we're going to scale everything back to like 15 bu- bus lines, you know, or 17 yep. or something, you know, um, like two were limited. Um, so Muni, I mean, yes, it was a great feat that they did that in the course of a weekend. But I mean, it also goes to show how much more agile Muni is, you know, just buses are just like, you know, it's just easier for them to kind of... um rejigger the routes and um rejigger the schedules or the headways or whatever or say like you know we're gonna do things differently than we've done them in the last 150 years i mean they managed to you know i mean it's 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 a testament to the skill of those trust transportation planners but they also managed to revamp the system pretty quickly BART is not flexible. BART is like this big sprawling rail system with tons of heavy infrastructure and a lot of shift uh fixed costs that it can't move around very easily. And um one thing that really struck me that I guess I didn't really realize before is that in comparison to a system like Muni, BART is just like stuck with a lot of costs that it just can't move around. So that is one of the big, big, big challenges for BART. All right. Well, it's uh, it's sort of a grim outlook, but Rachel, thank you so much for your reporting and uh, do keep us posted. There's going to be a lot more to come uh, in the next couple of months, I'm sure. Thank you so much for your patience, Dominic. Appreciate it. Our thanks to Rachel Swan, the Chronicle's transportation reporter, for being here and to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And of course, thank you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.
Thank you to Rachel Swan for being here and for her reporting, and to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Thank you to Rachel Swan for being here and for her reporting, and to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.